This is Harper Audio Presents, and I'm Karen Chikonsky, your host this time around. Willie Vallotton is the lead singer and songwriter of the alt-country band Richmond Fontaine, and his lyrics, well, they'll just tear your heart out. Soulful and sparse, his words boil down the human condition to emotions like longing, loss, and loneliness. Like so many artists, Willie works through his feelings about life by writing songs, and, it turns out, novels. His fourth novel, The Free, is the heartbreaking but hopeful story of three struggling characters, Leroy Curvin, Freddie McCall, and Pauline Hawkins. In a bit, you'll hear Willie talk to his editor, Amy Baker, all about these folks and how their stories were inspired and motivated by what's going on in America today. But first, I have to tell you a little bit about the audiobook. Before I read The Free, Amy, Willie's editor, told me that no one else but Willie could narrate the audiobook. I rolled my eyes and said I'd look into it. The truth is, for reasons I won't go into here, fiction writers rarely narrate their audiobooks, and we're not that likely to suggest they do so. But when I spoke to Willie on the phone and heard his voice in my ear, and then heard him say that he's a huge fan of audiobooks and listens to them on long walks in the woods near his house, sometimes in the rain. How could I say no to this guy? Turns out Amy was right, and no one but Willie could have narrated his audiobook. Here's the opening of the audio version of The Free, followed by Willie's interview with Amy. 1. Leroy Curvind opened his eyes to see a woman in a blue and white starred bikini holding a pneumatic drill. He could see her blonde hair and high heels and thin long legs. For the first time in seven years, he could see her without blurred vision. He could see her clearly from the glow of a small colored nightlight. He lay in a twin bed and looked at the girl. He could read the company name below her on the calendar, Jackson's Tool Supply. He remembered that his cousin worked there, Suddenly, he could think things through. He could put things together where in the past years he'd been unable to. It was like his mind had suddenly walked out of a never-ending snowstorm. Tears dripped down the side of his face in relief. Was he finally free? Was he really himself again? I'm here with Willie Vlotten. Thank you for joining us today. I'm happy to be here. Good. So, can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind the free? It started as a, a song called A Letter to the Patron Saint of Nurses about a guy um, basically writing the patron saint of nurses to help him look after his girlfriend who's a nurse who's kind of drowning in um, her uh, work and taking home her patient's problems with her. And then that got me, uh, it was a story I just couldn't quite shake that I, idea on a broader sense um, of of healthcare, and so the free really started out as a, as a I wrote it almost as a distress call to the uh, patron saint of nurses, who, who's an amazing guy named Camellius Delellis, and he basically helped start the Red Cross, and I I, I wrote it to him um, to to remember uh, people like the soldier Leroy who comes home from Iraq with a brain injury, and to remember the working class guy Freddie who um, has to work two jobs to pay for his kid who was born with severe disabilities, and to remember the nurse, um, Pauline, um, who, who like the song, A Letter to the Patron Saint of Nurses, um, is kind of drowning in, in her patient's problems and just the darkness of what she sees every day. 
So you just mentioned um, a lot of themes that are present in the book, the housing crisis, health care, the cost of war on our veterans and their families. Were you intending to make a statement, or were you simply just trying to represent the times that we now live in? I mean, both, I guess. I, You know, in a way, this book is my I, I wake up at 3 in the morning worrying book. I'd seen a, a brief segment on, on the news about brain injuries in soldiers, and it was a subject I'd followed from the beginning, and, 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 and it always seemed so tragic and horrific to, to, to come back with a maybe your body's okay but your brain is shattered and um and i was ashamed that none of my friends talked about it uh it was barely shown in the um newspaper that we were even at wars um and so that segment um just again was just a subject i couldn't quite shake the working class guy that has a bad health plan and is drowning in and medical bills that's just a, a common everybody i know has that problem that gets hurt and my girlfriend uh switched jobs and at 42 years old, she, she suddenly, for whatever reason, we couldn't get her new health insurance. She just, you know, you sign up like it's almost like a, like you're signing up for a credit card. Um, there's no uh, visits with doctors or no conversations with anybody. She would just get turned down, and we'd always heard the more times you get turned down, the worse your chances are. So that was another um, thing that kept me up uh, late at night worrying about her. And um, so it, it was really these these kind of bigger issues uh, that I was struggling with and was upset about that I finally had the courage to start writing, um, uh, you know, the free. And again, and, and, I, and I wrote it almost as a plea or a beg for help because um, uh, there were things that really bothered me, but I couldn't quite figure out what to do about it. So I want to talk about each of the characters for, for a little bit. Um, the nurse is Pauline, very memorable character, uh, very likable, but she's very guarded and um, kind of doesn't let herself be available emotionally. Then there's Freddie, who um, is working both jobs to make ends meet, just a really good guy who's trying his best but just has a hard time staying afloat. And then there's Leroy, who um, wakes up from the traumatic brain injury with a sense of clarity that he hasn't had and decides that it's fleeting and is afraid of going back to what he was, so decides to kill himself and then fails and enters into a sort of alternative uh, reality, uh, kind of science fiction romance world where his story kind of um, comes about. Could you, could you talk about each of the characters a little bit and what they mean to you? Like Leroy the soldier first, um, you know what I was trying to say is like here's this poor guy that's been in a home for disabled men for eight years and then you're right, he wakes up or he thinks he has clarity because um, his mind plays tricks on him. But he feels like he wakes up with clarity and one of his ideas is that he wants to disappear with his girlfriend and his girlfriend had always wanted to take this trip up the Pacific Canadian coast on a boat and so he, in his mind, decides that if he has clarity he wants to disappear inside his mind with her and so it's in part very romantic and then his mind won't let it stay that way his mind he can't control it so it's also becomes horrific the darker side of him like a brain injury where you can't control your emotions and it, that also freed me up to talk more about uh, war and wh what it means to be an American um, I grew up in a, a really increasingly right-wing family where those kind of discussions were made at dinner, like who's a real American, and it got pretty heated. 
um, about that. So it was, again, a subject that I was trying to figure out. Um, and, and so I kind of combined that and, and Leroy's fluctuation of emotions. And I also wanted to write a really romantic story um, between Leroy and Jeanette, um, saying, hey, look, this guy, like Willie Nelson says, 99% of us never find the right person. And that's why the jukebox is always filled with sad songs, and that's why people love sad songs. When I thought of Leroy and Jeanette, I'd say, well, they're the 1% that, that are meant to be together, but because of, of him getting hurt in, in war, um, he will never be able to be with her. Um, Freddie, to me, is, is almost a symbol character, a symbol of the working class. Um, he's a, a, a guy that ends up working two jobs and is trying to save his family's house, and but under the duress of a child being born with uh, severe disabilities, they mortgage the house twice and his marriage falls apart and his kids and his wife move out, um, which happens so much when there's a lot of pressure uh, on a family. One of them leaves. And I think it's all about if you push a guy too hard against the wall, um, he'll break. And I think Freddie breaks and, and starts trying to do something illegal to, so, he, so basically it's just so he can save his house. But he's a really honest guy, and it breaks his heart to do so. So I love Freddie uh, because um, he just keeps getting up every morning and trying the best he can. And then Pauline, um, who's also, I, I really admire Pauline, and um, uh, she was raised by a mentally unstable father. And if anyone's spent a lot of time intimately with someone that's mentally ill, it is like every day's the same, but it's different. And there's where you didn't think there were landmines, there's landmines. And where you're sure there's landmines, there's not. And um, it's dangerous and it's tiring and it wears you out. And I think uh, Pauline has built so many walls around herself um, that she's almost kind of losing her humanity besides her dad working in a hospital and seeing such dark things every day. Until a, a, you know, a kid comes in, a teenage um, runaway girl that's uh, in for abscesses from being a junkie comes in and the girl's she's sweet she's just lost she's, she's like a drift and and Pauline can see herself in the kid and and the kid kind of just jumps over every wall Pauline has and um, Pauline decides that she's going to try to save the girl and by by saving the girl I think she kind of regains a sense of her humanity in a way and a sense of uh, that she needs connection with people and makes her happier to, to care about people than to hide behind her walls. One of the things that I think strikes a chord with your readers is how compassionate you are in portraying these characters and uh, in hearing you speak about them, I can hear that. And um, I remember hearing you say one time about a character in Northline where you, you said, I stay up at night worrying about her because um, of the things that I'm putting her through in my book. Mm. So these characters, they, f they feel like they've become very personal to you. And uh, do they continue to stay with you? Or after you've finished the book, have you closed that chapter in their lives and moved on? I always look at writing like there's a box of all the things that worry me or scare me or uh, haunt me. And I always try to pull them out one by one and, and analyze them so I'll put them to rest. Uh, you know, with the motel life, it was all about trying to, to be a decent man. And, and when you live a marginal life and you don't stand up for yourself, um, you can slide through life. And then if somebody asks you to stand up and be a decent person, you, you have no practice. And I was struggling with, with that, of being a bum. I was struggling to, 
to find my way that way, and the, the motor life kind of helped me out that way. And Northline's all about alcoholism and, and fear in terms of all the trouble it gets you into, whether um, it, it, it can lead you to be racist, it can lead you to get under the thumb of someone that's stronger than you, it can lead you to giving up before before you should. And in that instance, that's the the girl you were talking about, is Allison Johnson in Northline. And I, I, she was really a combination of me, my mom, and my grandmother. And so I, I did worry about her. I, I wrote 200 extra pages where she went to college and, you know, became something and, and uh, had an easy life. And um, But it was false. So I had to cut it, uh, and I had to put her through the things I put her through because that's probably what it, she would have done. I was struggling with those things, so she had to struggle through, too. The characters take on their own lives, but uh, but it's all issues I'm struggling with, um, and and same with uh, the free with uh, especially with uh, Pauline and Freddie. I was trying to remember kindness, you know, to remember uh, no matter how life hard your life gets or how much you're struggling to remember to be kind to your friends and the people around you, but also just be kind in general. And those are things I was losing sight of, and I think in the free. Um, kind of was m me shaking myself to remember those things. Well, there's um, it's almost like those little acts of kindness in the book. Those little shreds of humanity are what give the book an ultimately hopeful feeling, and I think you've done that really well. It's silly, maybe, but like if you go to the same donut shop every day and the person's nice to you, just that little them being kind to you or nice to you might shift you just enough to make you be nice to somebody else or, or have a different spin on your day. So, uh, you know, I've, I've always been real sensitive to that if somebody's nice to me, it just feels really good when somebody is nice to you and they don't have to be. I, I, you know, I've always, I've always really respected that and, and gotten a lot from that. So, uh, so I, I try to write about that stuff as well. One of my uh, favorite responses or comments on the book that I've had is somebody said, Reading this book has made me want to be a better person. Yeah. I now pay attention to the people who are waiting on me at restaurants or selling me uh, something over the counter, and um, it just makes you want to be a better person. It's those uh, small acts of kindness. Yeah, the, a friend of mine told me there's a, there's a famous old quote, um, you know, remember to be kind uh, because everybody's in a great battle. Yeah. I thought that was brilliant and, and really true and easily forgotten. I mean, it's hard to, to, to be like that. Um, but I think it's something good to remember, and, and it was something I needed to remind myself of, and, and, and that kind of comes out in the book. You mentioned uh, the donut shop. So Freddie goes into the donut shop every morning, and uh, the waitress there is Mora. And um, they have conversation. There's these, these small details throughout the book. For instance, they're, they're talking about the Portland Winterhawks of the WHL. Or in Leroy's story, um, he and Jeanette listen to the Fado music of Amalia Rodriguez, and uh, Freddie's boss at the paint store, Pat, listens to Focus on the Family every day. I found that these just small details from life made the characters feel really authentic, and I'm just curious, are those details from your life that you've added in? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I was a house painter for 12 years, and we went to the same paint store, um, you know, four, sometimes five days a week, and they had free donuts. And so that was the big, big draw of going to that paint store. And I used to go to a, I had another job where I, I worked for Copenhagen. And I did all my paperwork in a donut shop. And I had the donut lady that was like a pal of mine for 20 minutes a day or an hour a day. Um, so I, I always throw that in there. And, um, and the Winterhawks, when I was writing the book, 
in those scenes, the Winterhawks were going to the playoffs and doing really well, and I love hockey. And so um, I had to put those in just as markers for myself. Uh, I always write in little stuff to remind me, or in the instance of Leroy and Jeanette, um, I wanted to give them something beautiful um, to hold on to, like a good luck charm or somebody to look after them. And so Malia Rodriguez is, is a Portuguese fado singer, and you can look her up on YouTube, and um, she's an amazing singer. And she seems like the kind of lady that um, she would wear a gown and yell at you for not dressing sharp and then make you dinner and then yell at you for not uh, being as good a person as you could be and then get drunk with you and then wake up in the morning and make you breakfast and then make you go to work. So she seemed like just a really amazing, strong person and a good luck charm. So that's why I gave her to uh, Leroy and Jeanette. And then I worked with a guy in, in terms of Freddie's boss who listens to Focus on the Family. Focus on the Family is a kind of evangelical program by Dr. James Dobson. And for years it was on every day at lunchtime. And my boss would make us all leave the building so he could listen to Focus on the Family um, with his wife on speakerphone. And I thought it was really interesting because he was the most you know, religious guy, yet the most unempathetic guy I'd, I'd ever met. And I was always really interested in the guys that I've met in my life that are the most, that wear their uh, religion like a badge, you know, um, are usually the ones that don't listen to what's being said, and they try to hit you with it instead of, you know, bringing you into it. Um, and so I was st struggling with that, and, um, and with that, that idea of religion. Um, uh, and so I put that in there as well, and to remind me of, of this crazy boss I had. Shifting gears a bit, uh, you're a musician. You play in a band, Richmond Fontaine. You have a new band called The D-Lines, and you are a storyteller and a novelist, and you've just recorded your audiobook. Um, there's some original music included in it. It's a really wonderful performance, and it's really a nice convergence of all of your talents. Uh, what was that experience like? I mean, I'm a huge audiobook fan. I, I have been for years. Um, I guess uh, just touring a lot. Um, you know, living in Portland, it takes you forever to get to the n next big city. Um, so audiobooks were always, if, if, if I'm driving, uh, audiobooks were always my favorite thing. So I became a huge fan of guys like Will Patton. You know, the, their narration becomes almost a, another character. It almost sometimes can really elevate the book. Or it makes you think about the book in, in different rhythms and different ideas come from the book uh, that you might not pick up when you're reading it. So I've always been a huge fan. So when I got an opportunity to uh, do my own book, I, I was really nervous about it. Um, it was like getting thrown in the deep end, but I was really excited as well to do it because I'm such a fan of them. And um, the, the producer, Scott Sherritt, was uh, such a great guy and really fun. And he's, in a way, the king producer of audiobooks. So... It was fun just to be around someone that, is all, uh, first, is really good at, at what he does, but second, he's a big fan of, of what he does. So um, you don't meet a guy every day that you can just talk about audiobooks with. So it was really, really fun. I have a hard time listening to my own voice. Uh, you know, I get tired of myself and all that, but it was so much fun to do it, and, uh, and I felt really honored to, to give it a shot. So having read your books and having listened to a lot of your music, I see some overlap from time to time. And were there any songs that either became the free or vice versa? Is, did the free influence any of your songs? I guess usually it works about maybe three years, two or three years before I start a book. I'll start writing songs. Um, 
about certain themes that are I can't figure out. Like I think I said earlier, there's a, a song called A Letter to the Patron Saint of Nurses. Um, the Free kind of started as that, and, and, and really that was the title of, of The Free for most of it, the working title. Um, um, then there was a song called 43 about F Freddie McCall, and the story's a little bit different, but the heart of the story is the same. And then with the Delines, um, I wrote a song called Colfax Avenue, kind of about Leroy. They always usually start as songs. Northline started a song, um, the Motel Life started a song, and, and Lean on Pete did as well. Um, and they just, they're stories that, that are just bigger than a, a song, or they just keep going and keep kind of pestering me. But really the heart of them is the same, and my songs and stories kind of all live in the same cul-de-sac at the same apartment building. And often my songs are, you know, maybe soundtracks to, uh, to my novels. Would you mind playing one for us here? Sure. This is a song called 43 about uh, the character Freddie McCall in, from The Free. He was 43 years old Living for his mother Being a home Being his ex-wife and kids In a different state He worked at a paint store He was going broke He was going broke He started growing weed plants and more The home got off his back So the ex-wife Even more She was living with a cop He'd get drunk and he wouldn't leave her alone She started calling Begging for more money So she could get out on her own So she could get out on her own goes on and there ain't no choice the cop broke her jaw and his kids moved back home his mom's riding in the center and the bills they never leave alone keeps a lock on his basement door and he sweats it out alone and in the I kind of screwed up, but maybe that's good. No, I think it was fine. I saw you laugh, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, maybe not. And then I, the only other one I'll do is... Uh, this is a song called Kid from Belmont Street. And it's, it's about the character Joe, or Carol. Um, she changes her name in the book, um, in the free. And um, she's also based on a character in Lean on Pete named Ruby. And in a way kind of based on Charlie Thompson, the, the, the main kid in Lean on Pete. It's a, it's a character or a kid that uh, reminds me a lot of myself um, and has uh, always kind of uh, troubled me or, or uh, stops me in my tracks when I meet kids like this. Um, so I'll give it a shot. 
just a mixed up kid I know Cause I've been there too But you, you don't know what it means to get into a car Just a mixed up kid, I know. But I will get you out, get you out of this. Thank you. Thank you. That was great. That was Willie Vallotton talking about his new book, The Free, with editor Amy Baker. The Free is available now, so check it out. You can also check out Harper Audio Presents on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Vallotton is one of the hardest. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. How you how you pronounce? You just name. spell yeah. it. Vallotton. I just spell it. Vallotton. Vallotton. Yeah. yeah. Some of my friends still are like can't say it. Yeah. What nationality is it's it? It's Croatian. I was going to ask. Oh, get that into the podcast. <laughs> what? Don't you think people want to know? No. No. Okay. All right. I'm just going to leave.